The government has put in 10,000 batteries in four years. I said I would listen. We did listen. I said I'd show respect. I did show respect. But them's the brakes. Out! No! Sergeant at arms, escort them out. Just being bleached as a result of being dead for a while in the sun and, and decomposing. Won't make it any easier for them to accommodate them in their family budgets. This is the podcast. For those newbies. With Dr. Dan and Lou from the radio. You really struck gold. How good are you? Welcome along to another episode of the podcast with Dr. Dan and Louie from the radio. Hello, Dr. Dan. Hello, Louie. How are you? I can't complain. I'm feeling really good at the moment. How are you? Good. Yes, going well. It's been uh, quite a crazy time. We had our very good friend... PR Guy 17, Jeremy Maluda on last week. Thank you to everyone who listened to that. And how good was it? To, it was so great. To peel back the onion layers. It was, it was, was that offensive? He's not an onion. He's not. A, well, if you believe Shrek, everyone has onions. Everyone is an onion yeah. and there are layers to people. <laughs> but it was good to take away another layer. Yeah. Especially the layer of the watermark that was over, <laughs> uh, Jeremy, uh, to finally see uh, <clears throat> to see what he actually looked like. I hope yeah. you guys enjoyed that. I hope our listeners all enjoyed the interview with Jeremy. We will be having him on later this year, just prior to the election yes. in Victoria, for his insight and his commentary and maybe analysis of the campaign coming up to the... Thing. Yeah, we were just putting together a little bit of a plan because we sat down before doing the podcast today and we thought, oh, we might just map out what's happening over the next few podcast episodes and holy shit, there's not long left in the year, is there? So time, <laughs> I know it says, everyone says time flies and literally it is now mid-July. Yeah. We have the election, we have the budget, I've got a few big personal things coming up and we've got so many big guests and a big reveal for another really big movie. Mover and Shaker, who we're going to have their interview on later this week. We'll find out all those details coming up soon. But right now, it is time to reveal the winner of last week's political lines. It was a Pauline Hanson off. We had two to choose from. And the winner is... Are you xenophobic? Please explain. Please explain is our first through to the next round. Stick around later up in the podcast. We will have a new round of lines to choose from. You can vote by jumping on our Twitter. And if you don't know how to get on our Twitter, the link's in the show notes. That's right. It's the at the pod, Dan and Louie. Super simple. If not, you can follow Louie or I and we have it in our bio and obviously there's the show notes. Show notes. Join us in our Discord as well to chat about all things politics. But first on the show, we will find out What's making news this week? And it is a big week for COVID with Anthony Albanese bringing forward National Cabinet. It was initially slated for Monday. He brought it back to Saturday and made a few announcements. The big one, of course, being that $750 payment for casuals will be brought back in. We'll touch on that soon. Uh, Hospitals across Geelong and indeed the country are beginning to impose their own restrictions as COVID wave worsens. Some areas in Geelong Long, this is really concerning. One in 30 people in Geelong have COVID. Yeah. This is numbers that we haven't seen since the Delta outbreak, the Delta wave. Um, the postcode of 3217, which is Armstrong Creek, Mount Dunedin, Charlemont and Freshwater Creek, has uh, 215 active cases. So that's 32.5 per thousand. These numbers 
yeah, we haven't seen since the Delta. All these mm. figures coming through from uh, VicGov, they put it out each day. Yeah. Uh, the next closest suburb in Geelong to that is the postcode of 3225, which is Point Lonsdale, Queenscliff, uh, Swan Bay, that kind of thing. Um, they're one in 66. Yeah. So <clears throat> half. That's current active cases. Current active cases. Yeah. And we're seeing uh, that the, the trend is upwards for active cases. Mm-hmm. Daily cases are starting to be fairly consistent between the 300 to 500 mark. Yeah. But they're just piling on. You just also, there's got to be a context when you take into account these daily tests. These are self reported rat tests mm. uh, and PCRs. So you can account that there's lots and lots of individuals who don't report their rats. They just go, oh, yeah, I'm right. I've rat paws. I'm just going to isolate and do the right thing. Mm. Um, and then individuals who don't even test at all. Uh, so there's probably a lot more virus floating out there in the community. The problem also is is that we look at um, deaths uh, when it comes yep. to these sort of things as well. Now, remember, we know deaths have a lag, and we've got lots of vaccine immunity with the majority of individuals at... Um, a double vaccination, so fully um, vaccinated. And then I think when it goes to boosted, it's only like 60% of eligible Australians. And then the fourth booster that comes out later. But what one needs to understand when you're looking at these statistics is there's a lot of holes in the data as mm. there's a lot of known unknowns. So we know that people aren't reporting their rats or actually going coming forward and getting tested. So there's probably a lot more virus floating out there than what's realised. A leading local epidemiologist believes that we don't need more rules and restrictions, but we do need better education to show people how to deal with COVID. We are seeing the seven-day rolling average for active cases in the Geelong region is over 7,500, which is worrying. Numbers in Queenscliff have exploded. The person I'm talking about is the Chair of Epidemiology at Deakin University, Professor Catherine Bennett. She said... I know a lot of people are saying we should have rules back. People aren't doing the right thing. What we need now instead of rules is better information. Her theory is we need to make it clear just how effective masks are. I think we know how we effective know, masks are. We know are. how yeah. effective masks mm. are. That's why I wear them at work for my 14-hour shifts. I wear an N95 mask and I wear some glasses, um, some selfies I've posted on my Twitter. <laughs> you can see them there. And I've, I've avoided COVID as of yet. Yeah. But this new strain, the BA.5, the R0 value is, some, some people have predicted is up to 18. I don't yeah. think it's that high. I think it's a little bit less once you look at the true data. I respectfully disagree with Catherine Bennett. I share the view of the Victorian Chief Health Officer, the acting one, Ben Cowie, at the moment, where he believes that we need to mandate masks in uh, certain retail areas. And we're also reducing the uh, overall visitor policy in a lot of hospitals. I also think that we need to follow New Zealand's suit and look at uh, producing N95s for the community. As we know that surgical masks, the ones that you wear, or the fiber, uh, fabric masks, aren't very effective eh, against stopping the spread of this Omicron Wave and that N95s are the more uh, effective in doing so. We'll get more into what the impact is on hospitals and the whole mask debate shortly. We'll just go through a few more things making news. The Transport Workers Union 
gearing up their fight on bike lanes. Now, they started a campaign to get rid of bike lanes in Melbourne's CBD. A lot of these installed during the lockdowns. They are designed to get people out of cars and on bikes heading around Melbourne CBD. There's a few in Geelong as well, and the Transport Workers Union State Secretary Mike McNess says lanes make the city a less safe workplace for those in the Transport Workers Union, so those doing delivery drivers, that kind of thing. Those that need to park near local businesses to drop packages, do deliveries, that kind of thing. Lots of parks are being taken up by bike lanes and it's basically a tough, tough gig for these transport workers to find somewhere to park safely Mm. and to not park over the bike lane. They must, uh, the Transport Workers Union says that they must be included in the discussion when it comes to bike lanes. So they're surveying people and they want to know, have you been affected by that kind of thing? Yeah, it's a, it's important to have those. I think that's what loading zones are for. Yes. So if we have some more loading zones and we get the uh, Transport Workers Union to... Um come in and bring just their to, ideas. Yeah, I think that's probably appropriate. To join on the roundtable discussion. Uh, it's another day, another rock's been thrown from the Creamery, Creamery Road overpass on the Ring Road and this is just horrifying. A local man revealing to Geelong broadcasters that his windscreen was completely smashed. Um, he joins the list of people including an elderly couple that were left shaken when rocks smashed their windscreen in late last month and a driver actually suffered injuries uh, after an incident on June 12. Mr Cuppen, who came forward and uh, revealed this to us, said that he's been left with a $600 bill to repair not just the windscreen but the, the damaged car as well. That's not the concerning thing in my eyes. We can, we can spend money to repair our cars, but mm-hmm. if something serious happens... It's lives, lives will be lives changed. Lives livelihood yeah. change. It's it's disgusting. We've discussed this before. Yeah. Um, it really needs to stop. Uh, anyone anyone with information, please call Crime Stoppers one eight hundred triple three triple zero. I don't want to draw aspersions here, but school holidays over. We might see an end, hopefully. Hopefully, crossed. and if not, we need to do something. We'll end on some good news. Geelong's Mavs. Everyone knows Mavs in Geelong. <laughs> and if you don't, uh, it's a restaurant and a bloody good Greek restaurant at that. Has been crowned the best restaurant in Victoria and Tasmania at a recent Restaurant Association Gala, which is, you know, it's just fantastic. Um, been in Geelong for about five years, and there's not... <laughs> Are there any other Geelong Greek restaurants? There's not many. No, I think they're the only ones. Yeah. Um, the I'm not even going to try and say the full name of Milton Mavs. No, um, pass. Yeah, it's it's a it's a traditional Greek name uh, that means black mustache, which is why the restaurant's got the mustache logo. Mm. Um, they're on Little Mallet Street. They've got gluten-free and vegetarian options as well. And at Melbourne's Fed Square, they were recently presented the award, which is fantastic. Also, um, the best Indian restaurant category, Lawn's Ras Leela was a runner-up. Um, Ballerine's Jackrabbit Vineyard took out best restaurant in a vineyard. So there's heaps and heaps of local dining. And as we come out of a cold and horrible winter, well, it's still a little bit to go, but Mm. as we look forward to the warmer weather, there's plenty of fantastic dining options that we can get out and about and enjoy across the region.
Back to more serious topics at hand. And, of course, we are talking about the COVID outbreak. The uh, Some are saying the third wave, but I'm pretty sure it's about the fourth now that we're up to. When you look at the chart... There's how many waves have yeah, there been? Yeah, when, when you get infection peaks. Yeah. I guess in reality, it's probably just more important to just realise that this is going to be a cyclical wave, very similar to the flu, yep. which was a, an avian virus yeah, in its initial spread and when it first became you know the flu mm. or the common cold. Uh, and we've got to stop thinking about waves per se and that they're going to be they're going to be a fluctuation during winter when it spreads more effectively and it's going to be less effectively spread in the summer why why does it spread in winter more what is it about the colder weather because from a person with yeah. zero medical background I'm cold I'm going to stay at home I'm yeah. going to rug up I'm not going out near people but when How you do go spread? out you mm. go into warm areas Mm-hmm. That are enclosed ah, with heaters, outdoor, and so yeah, the, right. the ability to spread the virus there, if you're infected or someone there is infected with yep. it, is more likely to occur in summer. You know, we're outdoors, we're doing outdoor activities, where we're not huddled up and close. There are less heaters. The circulation of the air it all comes down to aerosol spread and, and circulation. Of that air. makes a lot more sense, mm-hmm. and it just shows how important it is that if we are close to other people or nearby people we don't know people that we're unsure of what's going on as we said last week wear a fucking mask it's where it's why masks are mandated in in public transports obviously it's a public area and um it's enclosed trains buses taxis uh ferries i can't even remember any planes yes um where where you've got an enclosed space for a period of time, you know, greater than 10 minutes-ish, and um, you have to wear a mask. That's what it's mandated for. And the uh, chief health officer came out uh, and recommended, provided advice to the health minister here in Victoria and saying, look, we should probably reintroduce masks in the retail setting. And that dis- that advice was taken, but not acted upon. How how bizarre is that? Because it's been a a thing that the Victorian government and that um, Brett Sutton and Martin Foley have said we are imposing lockdowns. We're imposing this restriction based on health advice. We are following the health they, advice. They that has been their their thing that they've their stuck to. Yeah. They have, without any any, they've they've cast everything out and gone. This is a health matter. This is a mm. serious thing. We're going to take the health advice. Yeah. Why has it changed? What's what's the I reasoning think, yeah. behind it? There's a. I have to put my political hat on here. Um, from as a medical perspective, uh, from a medical perspective, without 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 putting my political hat on, I have to say, look, I, I share the view of the chief health officer. I think we need to curb the spread and slow the spread at least, so that our hospital systems can deal with the increasing number of hospitalizations. Uh, and that's probably why you're seeing um, a lot of the big hospitals uh, slow down on their elective surgery um, and recommend uh, you stay home. And you know, uh, kudos to the Albanese government in changing their policy and going back to allowing the $750 pandemic paid leave for casual workers to isolate. So because if you're not sick, uh, so because if you are sick, you need to stay home. Yeah, that's one thing that was a, a concern because there's casual workers who may have COVID and they have to decide between, mm. and this this line's been you know, around. said a lot <laughs> before, these people have to decide between putting food on the table or staying at home and isolating because if they don't go to work, they don't don't get paid and that's a luxury that I think a lot of us in full-time work 
don't really appreciate, don't yeah. appreciate and don't look at. So it's it's fantastic news that, and as well, Daniel Andrew is bringing in the paid sick leave for casual workers yep. in specific industries as well. Was it was a big thing for the state, first in the country. Um, just on the hospitals, Barwon Health has said that they need a rapid antigen test before anyone enters the building. Uh, there's also um, they're, they're doing this to protect both the vulnerable patients and the staff in hospitals um, they request social distancing good personal hygiene mm. and uh, Epworth Geelong is restricting patients to two visitors per day for a maximum of two hours both those sites require masks to be worn on premises at all times yeah prudent yeah uh, should should masks be made mandatory like how do you how do you make it so that it's not too much? Yeah, but yeah, how do it's you a draw fine, that line? It's a fine line, and I guess this is the counterpoint and and the answer to the first question which you provided me. Why did they make this decision? Initially, when everyone you know went in, stopped the spread. We've got fourteen days to curb the spread. There was a lot of these lines, these mantras, these public health messages, which when followed, everyone got on board and we all masked up and we all did everything correctly. The problem is, is that as you take these rules off and then you add them and uh, take them off and add them as we have throughout the waves that we've previously had, compliance following the rules of these mask wearing has slowly dropped. And when you don't have a fully compliant rule or mandate, the power starts to drop off. And so you can see why the language has changed and why the Victorian government and the Victorian Health Minister, Marianne Thomas, has made the decision that we're not going to mandate, we're going to strongly recommend because... The, they they probably have made the political and health calculation that we can appease the retail workers' unions while also appeasing the health authorities to a certain extent in describing a mask recommendation because they don't believe that putting in a mandate will actually lead to a fundamental increase in mask wearing versus just strongly recommending it and allowing people to use their personal choice around the decision to wear a mask. Where, will that slow the spread, stop the spread? I don't know. The data will find out and we're running a, an experiment which may or may not work. Um, I'm, you know, I, don't, I think that we know that mask wearing reduces the spread. I don't think that strongly recommending it will give you enough of mm, compliance with that recommendation versus a mandate. But the evidence does show that the re-implication of mandates the compliance does drop. So maybe you're going to end up at that, this sweet spot where we're able to reduce the spread overall and hopefully not overwhelm our hospital systems and allow our elective surgery to get back. But we do have a lot of other things that are pushing the health system and it's not just COVID at the moment. COVID is the straw that is breaking and almost about to break the health systems back. Not only mag- uh, having mandates but enforcing them. I was horrified The Age had an article that said... In the past five months, so just this year, while yeah. masks have been mandatory on public transport, Victoria Police have spoken to more than 66,000 passengers on Victoria's public transport system. Did you see how many fines had been given out recently? So oh, no, no, since, no, no, no. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, go on. 58. Mm. They've spoken to 66,000 people who weren't wearing masks 
and they gave out 58 fines. I hope that if they've spoken, like, it's, it's hard because you've got to break down that number because when you look at that number, you're like, oh, my God, why didn't they f- find 55,000 of these individuals? It's, well, maybe just a reminder that to pull your mask up mm. or that you've got to wear a mask and the person immediately complied. Like, I've done that before. I've accidentally walked on and gone, oh, my God, I forgot my mask. And, you know, I've had someone come up and say, you need to wear a mask. I'm like, oh, yeah, totes. Um, just whip it out and put it on. That's, that's an interaction in that state. I shouldn't get a fine for that. Sure. I don't yeah. believe so. But the context is a bit more important there and it's lost in the data there. Have you... Do you often use public transport? Not often. Because I went to the footy with Dad the other weekend. Yeah. Uh, he came to visit and I was absolutely horrified. Mm. There was less than half. Yeah. It's just shocking. And this is where uh, we need people wearing masks where it's not mandatory. Yeah. To kind of go... Oh, they're wearing a mask in a shopping centre. Yeah. Oh, okay. Why are they worried? Oh, okay. Promote that discussion. Yeah. And also see that it's not people wearing a mask for their protection. They're wearing a mask to protect you. you. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's something that just... It's, it's really difficult. It's a difficult argument because the other thing is to understand is the public sentiment. And mm. there's a big sentiment that COVID is over. We don't want to go back to lockdowns. Lockdowns are finished. We've vaccinated. We've done our time. We've paid our dues. We want to get back to life as normal. And you can really feel that the governments, both federal and state, are sensing that strongly in the community that they don't want to redo this and say la vie is there and and that that's and that's where they're going and you can see that they've got the finger on the pulse although the health advice is now diverging from the community sentiment one and i think that's the biggest key take to take away so one no that's okay one thing i think that um, a lot of people older than us mm. dr dan are, yeah. aren't too happy about yeah yeah and they're People not too happy about it being told to wear a mask yeah. i grew up where no hat no play yeah and i could imagine that when that was first brought in there was a lot of pushback there would have been a lot of pushback there would have been kids that gone stuff this i haven't yeah. had to wear a hat and kinder and prep and yeah. year one year two and now i do what's this but for me no hat no play it was just part of school yeah so we're, i'm hoping that yeah masks start to become a thing where it's it's okay to wear a mask. Mm. You don't have people... Yeah, There's still a bit of stigma around it. I think that's yeah. what you're trying to get at. There that's is a bit right. of stigma that now when you see someone wearing a mask in a public area where it's not quote-unquote mandated, you're like, oh, they're wearing a mask. Oh, I guess, yeah, that's right. Good on them. Mm. You know, that's like the logic. At least that's my, pewter, my, my two cents. But like for me at work, everyone's wearing a bloody mask. So it's like, you know, it's, it's casual. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like we expect masks and we expect high level of PPE. But, you know, I work in a... I work in a public health hospital um but if you go around to the shops you know you expect kind of the the shop wearers to wear it because you know that there are rules for them hmm. but the customers occasionally you'll see one and it's probably about one in ten <laughs> two, yeah two in ten that would do it yeah it's it's i think not much but it's it's not comforting but it's encouraging that people are wearing masks without mm. it being enforced yeah um, but yeah well but two in ten and one in one two to one in ten is not enough mm. we can see it because that's what's happening now and you can see the spikes and you can see the number of hospitalizations start to increase and when someone is hospitalized for covid whether it's in the ICU or it's in the um, the normal wards that's potentially taking a bed 
that could be used for an elective post-op hmm. or for someone's heart attack. Yeah. Car or, crash. Or for someone's um, peg tube um, to be um, recited because it's gotten blocked. Hmm. Someone in cancer remission needing um, a few extra time because they've got a zero immune system and they've got an infection and they need a whole bunch of antibiotics. So there's a lot of different things that come through our health system. And uh, if someone needs oxygen support for a virus that they could have avoided, if mm. uh, a lot of us had worn masks, that uh, individual would get uh, their care. Yeah. Uh, please wear a mask if you can. We might move on to something a little lighter, a little bit more fun. Um, we could spend all podcast yeah, we could. <laughs> talking about that, but let's let's move on to uh, something that piqued my interest over the last couple of days. I don't know. I know you listen to the media. You may have noticed a, a certain head popping up yeah. over the past week or so. Take a listen to something I heard. Tony Abbott, thank you for your time. I spoke to Tony Abbott, the former Prime Minister, a short time ago. Tony Abbott, thanks so much for coming on Outsiders. For Former Prime Minister Tony Abbott joins me now. Tony Abbott, welcome to the program. What is Tony Abbott doing back in the spotlight? Mm. And not just the kind of providing political commentary occasionally they'll get Keating or Hewson or Howard, or Howard not so much, but Rudd. Um, you don't see much of them, mm. but then Abbott's just come out on a media blitz. Yep. And not only that, here's something that I caught which... Very interesting. It shook me. Mm. I certainly applaud the fact that uh, Penny Wong uh, went to the Solomon Islands almost immediately. I applaud the fact that the Prime Minister is going to the Pacific Islands Forum. Two years ago, three years ago, you would never catch Tony Abbott... Praising Penny Wong. ...giving credit to any Labor person for their foreign policy. And now he's coming out and saying good on them for going over to the South Pacific and shoring up basically what we mucked up for the last nine years. But leaving that aside, mm. the question of what is Tony Abbott doing? And a lot of people have been asking, it's doing a bit of digging, Dr. Dan. Yeah, tell me, what what is your political insight? New South Wales Liberal Party yeah. may be on the patrol for a new president ahead yeah. of their state elections coming up. So I reckon Tony Abbott might be shoring up a bit of support He'd have his rusted-on followers on the the far right, the conservative factions. But in coming out and praising Labor, who are to the left of... He's catching teals. He's trying to get... disillusioned. Yeah, those people who... So Philip Ruddock is, you know, former MP, former... Foreign minister. Yeah, Yeah. former high-profile minister at that. He's currently the New South Wales uh, state... Liberal uh, president. Liberal president. There's a lot going on with. I'm not sure if you watched. You would have I watched seen the, the Four, Four Corners. Corners absolutely, and I'm wow. sure a lot of our listeners uh, yeah. did that. Was, I think there's a political vacuum going on, mm. and we're looking at a realignment. We know that the New South Wales, uh, well, the the factions in the New South Wales uh, government, well, New South Wales, no, New South Wales, sorry, federal Liberal Party is basically the Conservatives, led yep. by Peter Dutton at the moment, with uh, Tony Abbott still involved in there. <laughs> um, the uh, the Morrison fraction led by Scott Morrison, probably now inherited by Alex Hawke as Scott Morrison will, well, has announced a retirement or resi- resignation from the seat of Cook, but we're sort of anticipating that that would occur. But who bloody knows? We'll have to get Mr Morrison on the line to have a chat about that. Where the and bloody hell are you? The, uh, and then the uh, decimated, well, I hate using the word decimated because it means to 
reduced by a tenth or tenth. reduced to a tenth. Uh, but I'm going to use it. I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners. I know it's my pet peeve. You're just going to have to deal with it. Um, moderate, quote unquote, modern liberals led by Simon Birmingham who's now the Senate leader and uh, shadow foreign minister. And so in the New South Wales, you've got these three factions fighting each other, trying to get to a political consensus and who will run the numbers. And basically it was the moderates on the left, on the moderates on the, you know, the conservative left and the conservatives on the conservative right. And then the Morrison faction, which really didn't have really an ideological split with it, but it was sort of like, we will go and we hold the balance of power and they would go to the moderates when they needed their, their assistance to push a, a motion up or the conservatives, um, the, the, the right to bring to And I think uh, Tony is looking to try and scrape some of the end of the Morrison edge yep. off to gain some numbers and become the political powerhouse in the New South Wales Liberals to fix the issues. We'll just have to wait and see, but certainly a very interesting time coming up with two state elections, mm. both Victoria and New South Wales. Kind of the last two of the, what we could call COVID elections. Yeah, or the cycle, just the full cycle, mm. because... Like, we've had pretty much everything. We've had Tassie, ACT, um, South Australia earlier this year. We've obviously had the federal election. Queensland would be the next one up after that. We've had NT and WA. So you're absolutely right. These would be the last two that where COVID really has any fem- semblance to play, especially in Victoria. We, COVID will be a big thing. Yeah, we get to take a, a breath in 2023. Queensland elections, not till 2024. There you go. Uh, so we've got stage. a whole so year without whole an election. year of what are we going to talk about in, next year on the podcast, Dr. Dan? You know what? You know what? We might talk about overseas politics because yeah, there's a right. lot going on there. We've also got the midterms in the US at that's the end of this right. year. Yes. Uh, one of those big things happening at the moment, we will chat about after the break. We're going to take a, a little bit of a breather ourselves right now. And coming up for you after the break, we're going to talk about the UK political political explosion that's happened Boom. since we were last on. Stick around. You're listening to The Podcast with Dr. Dan and Louis from The Radio. Welcome back to the podcast with Dr. Dan and Louie from the radio and something that we don't... Hang on, Louie from the radio is you? Oh, I'm not you. I'm I'm you. (laughs) Things are getting weird. Freaky Friday in here. Um, Something that, yeah, things are about to get weird. Something we don't normally delve into is overseas politics. Mm. And I will be the first to admit that overseas politics is not quite my strong point. But even I knew that this is massive news. Uh, It took long enough, but eventually we got a resignation from Boris Johnson. I want you to know how sad I am to be giving up the best job in the world. But them's the breaks. Them's the breaks. (laughs) 
um, it's just unfortunate that our political lines competition is Australia only mm. because them's the brakes would have to go in there. It's if, up there if we do an overseas ones. Um, so massive, massive news that Boris Johnson will be standing down. But you know that's an answer to a question. But that answer brings with it so many other questions. It sure does. Who um, will take over? When will he stand down? Why is this all happening? Um, and you've been following this a little more closely than I, Dr. Dan. Mm. And it all started with uh, someone who got allegedly a little handsy. Yeah. So the resignation of Boris Johnson as the Conservative Prime Minister uh, of the Conservatives uh, in the United Kingdom... started basically from the Sue Gray report and eventually culminated, as Louis has clearly said, from someone who got a bit too handsy. Allegedly. uh, Allegedly. And was aware, and Boris Johnson was aware of this alleged handedness, um, handinessness of this individual, Christopher Pincher, who rose to be the deputy whip... Deputy Whip, yes. Deputy Whip of the Conservatives. Um, and he was promoted. And that was basically the straw that broke the camel's back. It led to two subsequent count, uh, cabinet uh, reappointments where the entire cabinet that Boris Johnson appointed initially resigned. He appointed another set of cabinet ministers. The whole cabinet went out on the front and lawn. within... 48 hours, they had basically all submitted their resignation. <laughs> now, when a prime, although Boris Johnson survived a leadership spill motion around a month and a half ago, one cannot govern without a cabinet or a loyal cabinet or a cabinet that doesn't resign within 24 hours, 48 hours after its initial appointment. And therefore, his decision, the cabinet basically told him and the party basically told him that there was no confidence, even without an, uh, an election, uh, a leadership spill. And uh, now Boris Johnson has declared that he will resign as Prime Minister of the, uh, leader of the Conservative Party and therefore the Prime Minister, uh, but he will continue to act as acting Prime Minister until the Conservative Party now elects a new leader. It's such a steeped in tradition kind of place mm. over there. They have these 1922 committees. Yeah. It just sounds like they're all sipping whiskey in a mahogany room somewhere. And oh, I say so. We should do this. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is here hearing in the. There is. Yeah. Well, there's here here in our house. <laughs> yeah, it's not the. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the one of the rules was after a motion of no confidence was brought forth, mm. it couldn't happen again for another twelve months, which is yeah. a bizarre thing. And the writing was on the wall for Boris when that he admittedly did pass confidence. Yeah, he was found to there were confidence found in him, but he needed to drastically change, and he didn't. And further, like there was even there's reports from UK journos who said. Um, senior cabinet ministers like even the chancellor of the exchequer which is their treasurer, treasurer. said they just got a fancier name for yeah it. chancellor of the exchequer chancellor. oh here yeah. <laughs> said uh look bojo you've got until 9 p.m to resign come on mate let's yeah. let's let's make a move at 8 59 boris johnson sacked him what a boss move like absolutely <laughs> I mean, like i love the guy i hate the guy yeah but like that's such a baller dun, move dun, like you dun, have dun, to dun, respect dun, the like the pettiness mm. that comes 
comes from yep. this. Like, who wouldn't love to do that? It's just such a mm, mic drop. So, I love it. Respect it. <laughs> Terrible respect. Uh, the question is, when will Boris Johnson step down? Because he hasn't stepped down, unlike mm. in Australia, where if a Prime Minister has Well, he's technically stepped down because he's acting. He's stepped down from Prime Minister yeah. to Acting Prime Minister. Which is... Whilst they sort of wait out and do an election now. Yeah. Within the Conservatory part... The Conservatory... Conservatory... Conservatives. Yeah. Um, they are now in the process of electing their leader who will succeed Boris Johnson as Prime Minister. And there's, what, 11, 11 people have put their hand up? 11 candidates, and they think, I believe they go through a certain amount of um, elections now within the MPs themselves. So and the they just members. knock off one at a time. One at a time, and then I Everyone believe the final in. two goes to the entire membership. Yeah. I believe. I'm not 100% sure I should have. Yeah, I've, I have heard that, and that's, that's incredible that they have to get everyone together. They vote... For you know, who out of these eleven do you want? Mm-hmm. Person with the least vote goes. See you later. All right, thanks. We'll do the same again for ten. Yeah, but they need to like print out the ballots and make it official. So it takes time. yeah, and there are leader debates between all these things. Mm. My suspicion and my political hot take, and I believe the individual who will win in the end um, is Penny Ackland. Mm. I believe she will end up as our oh, ow, as the, <laughs> our motherland's prime minister. I believe she will take the uh, the reins and she will win. There you go. That's there's a political hot take. That's now prediction. locked in. Locked in. Um, Hold me to account. DM me. Tweet me. <laughs> yes, Andrew. Uh, um, we love a seamless segue here on the podcast, so we'll start to move towards our next segment. Mm. But in the meantime, uh, here is some of the crazy scenes in the UK Parliament. Recently. As Boris Johnson is still acting Prime Minister in question time, yeah. taking questions from people, he's being heckled. There's Why no not dead man walking. There's no section 94A in the UK Parliament, and it's really difficult to kick an MP out of yeah. question time. So the Speaker has to go through a really formal process. But when shit hits the fan and he loses control, like a teacher in eighth period with yeah. a hot summer day and That's no fans right. on, um, do you take a listen to the UK Parliament. <laughs> So that voice is the speaker. Order! I say to the honourable gentleman, I will not tolerate such behaviour. If you want to go out, go out now, but if you stand again, I will order you out. Make your mind up. Either shut up and get out. Shut up a minute. Does somebody want... Neil Hamby, I am now naming you and Kenny McCaskill to leave this chamber. Sergeant, deal with them. Deal with them. Deal with them. Just sit down. Out. No. Sergeant at arms, escort them out. Get them out, Sergeant. Get them out. We'll try again after that. Prime Minister, Prime Minister will now go to Robin Miller. Yeah. Uh, 
Mrs. Beaker, from tomorrow, the first installment... And from there, finally, Boris Johnson got to answer the question that was directed at him. But a speaker <laughs> losing complete control of the house there. And my favourite part was where he lost his voice or had the little the, the testy voice. pop. Just somebody walk! <clears throat> oh, Is that God. the official title? I don't think that's the medical term. Testy pop? No. Okay. Well, whatever, whatever it was. Just somebody walk. <laughs> hashtag testy pop. Hashtag the podcast. But um, where is it? Where is it when we have the efficient boom? You're done out, and the and the and the MP work works, Louis. The Australian political system, because there is a uh, section in the Constitution, 94A. It's commonly referred to. It means that the speaker, if he speaker, if he or hers had enough of your shit, can just turf you out for. <laughs> 24 hours and that brings us on to maybe we won't infamous yeah we were i was gonna use some other words no, but we'll, infamous we'll, um and local too she was was she local mckellar what was she doing on the she was um we're talking about former speaker of the house bronwyn bishop yeah what was she doing she took a helicopter from Melbourne to one of the wineries on the oh, Ballerine Peninsula right. for a wedding. Or, no, no, for a Liberal Party meeting. It was for a Liberal Party meeting, I believe. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Charged it to the taxpayer. It was quite an expensive trip for something that was is an hour's drive, which yeah. I drive quite often. Yeah. And this was her undoing. And Literally this. An infamous speaker of the lower house, a conservative stalwart and a loyal member of the conservative wing of the Liberal Party yes. and a minister to multiple prime ministers, and Bronwyn Bishop. The new title that she has is competing for the best political line in Australia. The first line that we have is when she uh, was was kicking out, I think she kicked out 18 Labor politicians mm. in one day. My particular favourite part is uh, when she told a person to sit down and then get out. The member will resume his seat and leave under 94A. How is the member for Hunter meant to resume his seat and leave the room? He can do it sequentially. It's quite clever. <laughs> Tony Burke there, the That's manager of opposition sit business. Sit down and then get <laughs> sit out. Sit down and shut up and get out. Uh, the the other one was when she was forced to resign. One doesn't resign for, for an error of judgment when it's within the guidelines. Always maintaining her innocence there. Uh, let us know which of those you think is the best quote, the best political line. We'll have the poll up on our... It's up now on yep. our Twitter. Congratulations to Pauline Hanson for, uh, for getting through last week yeah that's right and now give us your uh your take on which one i think honestly the one does not resign <laughs> within the, if it's within the guidelines is a great line one doesn't resign for, for an error of judgment when it's within the guidelines it admits that it is one an error of judgment, but it is within the guidelines, which is just mm, quite delicious in itself. But the sequential kicking out of yeah, individuals that's my from pick. the party. Oh, the member will resume his seat and leave under 94A. How is the member for Hunter meant to resume his seat and leave the room? He can do it sequentially. It's quite clever. It's quite clever. Yeah. Quite a... Oh, just, it is It sums beautiful. her up. It is beautiful. It sums her up. Mm. Have your say. We've got a poll up on our... Twitter, and now we, as we come to the end of the show, we need to reveal who next week's guest 
is. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh. We've got a guest lined up for our podcast next week and uh, they will be joining us because, of course, when, the, when we started this podcast, it was going to be a fortnightly one. Yeah. And then we thought, well, why don't we fill in the blank with uh, the an interview. Week. Yeah, with an interview. Our next mover and shaker joining the honour roll board with Peter Murrahy, the Mayor of Geelong, and PR Guy 17. Hi, I'm Leonardo Puglisi, Chief Anger Founder and Managing Director of Six News Australia. The man behind... Look, see, this is the thing. I don't want to disparage him by saying the boy behind. Yep. Because, you know, he's, he's young. He's only 14. He's 14. But the amount of journalists that he puts to shame with his professionalism, with his uh, tenacity. He can still be a boy. I think it's objectivity and he smackdowns on tweets. He's an amazing tweeter. He's absolute. (laughs) He's someone that I admire for his work, his tenacity and and what he does. I think it's great. It's going to be such an interesting interview to have a chat and ask him the questions, see where he's going in the future, what he thinks about the upcoming political elections here in not only um, that, we'll find a bit more about him because we know a lot about his um, his attitudes to journalism and his professionalism and unbiased delivering of mm. news. But I want to know because I think he goes for Hawthorne. Who's the man behind? Who's the boy behind the mark? The mic? Yeah, and the camera. Yeah, we will have him on the podcast next week. But we will wrap up now. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries, Louis. Pleasure to be here, as always, as your co-host. We have all of our details about how you can follow us, how you can follow the podcast in our show notes. You can join our Discord. And, of course, please leave a five-star review so we can share the word. Yeah, that's right. Like, comment, subscribe, make a comment. I always read them, and I, I always get a really good fuzzy feeling. And I think we're going to start reading out more of them. Oh, we've yes. Got to, we've got to do that more often. Leave so the comments our- so that we can... So our listeners can be part of the show. Yes. Have a great rest of your time until we catch you again. And make sure if you haven't already, go back in our show feed and have a listen to our chat with Jeremy, a.k.a. PR Guy 17 Thanks for listening. We'll catch you you next time. Are you going to say goodbye? Oh, yeah. I can just do a shout-out to my boys who have been hassling me on the chat. Okay, yeah. And so I'm going to go shout out to you guys. You know who you are and my family. And thanks, Mum. I love you. Bye. How good's that?